0: Hey, it's your host, Charlotte Chipperfield, and welcome to the Holistic Marketing Podcast, the show that inspires you to think holistically about yourself, your business, and your marketing to ignite the impact you desire to have on the world. We'll learn what it takes to be seen and heard in the digital space from leading experts and myself as a marketing executive and the former founder of Chipperfield Media, Get ready to own your marketing by exploring the intersection of purpose and proactive marketing to move your business forward. Welcome to the Holistic Marketing Podcast. Today, Erin Moore joins us to talk all about the topic of sales. And before you hit pause and run away like so many of us want to do when we hear the word sales, know that Erin is a rock star in coaching women and female entrepreneurs on the topic of sales. I have experienced her magic firsthand, and she helped me completely reframe what it means to do sales and helped me create a system that really worked for me. Erin is a wife, mother, Latina, and sales manager who wants to see more women in sales. She's worked in the male-dominated tech field for six years and coaches women by teaching them a sales mindset approach that she wasn't finding in traditional sales books. Erin is on a mission to teach women that you don't have to sell like her, but you can sell like yourself. So welcome, Erin. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. So excited that you're here. And I'd love for you to maybe just start and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do.
1: Yeah. Um, so I Like you said, I have been in sales, a specific role in tech for about six years at the end of this year, but my journey in sales started a long time ago, and I've pretty much been in sales most of my career. I am living in Portland, Oregon with my two kids and my husband, but I grew up in California, so from the Bay Area, um, lived there most of my life until moving to Portland 10 years ago, which feels like a blink of the eye, can't believe it's been that long. And for relation to this conversation, I think what's important is knowing the history of the fact that I was not a school person. I was not. I'm always sort of dramatic about it, but I just didn't like it. I didn't I didn't get it. I didn't wasn't good at it. And so the first thing I did out of getting out of school was decide that I wanted to go into makeup. And so my parents at the time we're like, what? I don't even understand what that means. So I went off and I got my first job at a counter um, with a Christian Dior counter. And so that's where my story begins. I began there and for the next nine years, I was in makeup, started as a, at the counter, like I said, moving into a traveling artist and then taking gigs throughout the next um, journey, the next, like I said, nine years. What's interesting about that at the time was my father who he also was this entrepreneur sales. He was, he, he also was in sales and led a business. And he said that you can continue to do this makeup, but I want on your free time to work with me. And so what's back then, especially, and probably still currently when you're in a field like makeup, you work seven days a week, but you do have big gaps of time. And so in those gaps, I was shadowing my father and he was generous, he was kind, and he was also just incredibly savvy. And so I had one foot in this career that I loved and was interested at and just dived 100% in and then was also being, you know, moved into this corporate kind of mindset where I was watching my father operate his own business. So when I think about where I began and where my true schooling came from, it really came from those nine years. And I just, I really still look back on that time as a gift and that I was supported on what I wanted to be doing, but was also learning um, from my father, how he did things. So I didn't really see that until much later in life that that, that's how that worked out. And the other thing about that, that I think is kind of funny is I don't think I was that great. (laughs) I wasn't some like master artist. I think that how I maneuvered even in that career, having never done makeup before and being self-taught, was my sales skills, was my ability to talk to people, was my ability to listen and to communicate and to ask questions. And so I just find it incredibly funny that when we think about sales, we just think about it in this specific box, but sales really does show up in so many different professions, in so many different ways that we, if we really took a look at it, we would see that that was happening. And that, that's, that's where this all started. And that was, has been my uh, epiphany since getting out of that space.
0: Yeah. I love that sharing of your father and how he really had such a big impact. And I think it's, it's amazing how you were able to kind of take some of that downtime that you had and kind of really get other experiences and kind of learn and grow in a way that has, you know, had great benefit on, on you now in your career, which is really wonderful. Right. Also now know why your makeup always, always so flawless. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a part of my story that never felt relevant, to be honest. Um, especially moving into like a career corporate America and getting into that later. Cause I was almost 30 when I got into more of a corporate role it just never felt relevant. And, and now it's like so much later, I was like, oh my gosh, that it was selling. Like it was, it just kind of blows my mind when I think about it in that way. I didn't, I would have never framed it that way back then. So it is, it is interesting.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's so relationship based and almost like very intimate too, because you're, Mm -hmm. you know, touching someone or like transforming the way that they look and feel about themselves or whatever the purpose is, but I think that is still very relationship oriented and there's a level of trust that has to be there too. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's kind of talk a little bit about sales. Um, and let's dive into maybe why so many of us cringe when we hear that word (laughs) or think about having to do sales.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that is, that is so relatable and so constant that that's, that's what I've heard. That's what I continue to hear. Sales on the surface is really understood to be manipulative, is to be greedy. And I think the biggest piece is it just, for the most part, feels highly transactional. Um, and for women, that that's just an instant, like, that's just not how we operate. And so, especially in business, that's not how we want to operate. But here's the thing. For a long time, that was the case. So it's a true assumption. You know, when we think about, um, like when I think about my parents and when they were buying cars, um, they would go out and they didn't have all the information. You know, the person selling them the car had had, had all the cards, had all the things that they needed to manipulate a situation to get a certain price. And so this assumption about sales is not wrong. It's just very outdated. And I think that that's where the miss is and that's where the gap is because, most women who are going to be around my age in corporate America dealing with sales, they—that's what they saw, and that was a real, that was a real scenario. But what's happened in current day in 2021, um, and even obviously before then, if you want to be good at sales today, your skill set has to be completely different than it used to be. You know, the buyer and the customer has all the information and has the power of choice. And so a transactional sort of manipulative um, scenario in today's world, in today's market, it doesn't, it falls flat. It's obvious and it doesn't work. And that's not how selling works today. So when I hear that, I don't think it's wrong. I just don't think that that definition and that clarity around what sales is now has been updated.
0: I love that reframe. I think that's such an important piece of it. I mean, I guess it is with, you know, the establishment of even the internet and just having more access to information, like we can all research and look for solutions on our own. And so maybe that's why it feels even more cringeworthy now when someone just comes in as a highly transactional sale mm-hmm. and it's like, bye, 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 where it's like, whoa, that's too much. Exactly. So I love that you're talking about that there is like an updated, there's a new way to kind of approach sales. So if you had to kind of maybe characterize or think about this new way of selling, um, how would you describe that?
1: Yeah, I think that, so if you look, if you were to think about a scale and on the left you had relational and on the right you had transactional, I think, you know, 10 years ago, you would still really be in this transactional camp. And I think that as, as we continue to move forward into like, the information age where we have actually too much information and too much choice, you're really in relational. And so I think that the the real act at this point is to create some sort of balance and to really be in the center. You don't want to be so relational that you're emotional, super emotional about it. And for a lot of the founders and the entrepreneurs that I talk to, that's where they're living. They're living in the, all the way to the left, and they're in this relational space where – Every single sale conversation is so charged with emotion and attachment to the outcome that they can't step forward. They can't even move themselves a little to, you know, to the right. And so, at the same time, if you were to Google, you know, how can I sell, or I want to begin to start selling, or whatever it is, you would have put into that search bar. So much of the information is going to give you this transactional feedback. Make sure you have this. Here's a checklist. Ask these questions. Have a script. And it's so transactional. And so the gap, again, that I was finding um, when I'm talking to to women and and to those who wanted to improve on their sales skills, it was like there's so much information. It's highly transactional, but they're still in this very relational space. And so really looking at it, looking at it, trying to pull yourself into the middle and understanding that sales is really about a service. And that I say this a lot and I'm not the first one to say it, but when you really think about sales, you're offering up something as a solution that you believe in to solve a problem. And so it's really not highly relational and it's also not highly transactional. It really is a kind of a mix of both. And something, another phrase that I use a lot when I'm talking to people who are trying to reframe the way that they think of sales, I always say, educate to the sale, talk about, you know, what are the things that they would need to hear to actually move into a different way of thinking and taking away some of that emotion, I think is step one for a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs and founders who have so much tied into this. And I think that one of the things that you know, you and I talked about, and you, you can expand on this, was letting go of this, you know, you needed permission to move more into transactional. And I think that that's, you know, we're like core values and our mission statements and our why. And, you know, those are important things. But when you're selling, you can't live in this space or you don't feel you can be assertive, use your voice, speak up for what you believe you deserve because you've already you have two feet in this relational side. And so, I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, but I mean, I think that that's super common and, and we don't want to go to transactional, but we do want to be somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah. I absolutely love that, that it's like that permission to be in the middle. And I think what you talked about too, is like, you know, really offering a solution that you believe in, And I think that sometimes we can get caught up in that piece of it. And it's like, do you really believe in what you have to offer? Or do you believe in it like 80%, but you want to tweak some things and not also getting stuck in like the over delivering of what that service might be. And so I know I definitely got caught up in that too of like, well, the service could be better if I added this one other thing into it. You know, if it was around like social media, but maybe it was like adding the paid social media. But then it was like this conundrum of making sure that I still charge what I'm worth. And so it is very easy to get stuck on like either side of the scale a little bit. Mm -hmm. So having that permission to come back into the middle and really just think about, you know, centering on like who you are speaking to as a human, building that relationship. But then also knowing that you do have a solution that's going to help move them forward with the challenges that they're facing And so at some point that ask does have to come up. And I think that can be extremely scary. And so, again, when you can lean into this thing of value, I think that's kind of where the magic happens because the other person is going to feel that energy and understand that that solution is what they need to help accomplish their goals.
1: hundred percent. I mean, I think that leading, I think that the miss... For so many of us, myself included, I mean, this took me a long time to learn. And I learned it when I was working with, I mean, the field that I'm in, in tech, it is so male dominant. I I learned this the hard way. I would definitely say that. But women tend to lead with likability. And likability is great. And likability is important. And likability is a part of this. But we need to lead with value. And I think when you are starting conversations from the beginning, you know, I remember I would be in conversations and I was like, I need to be relational. I need to be liked. I want to be seen as this person they really want to do business with. And that ended up really hurting me because being liked is disposable. They might like you, but what would happen was in my experience, they did like me. And so they'd be like, let's go to lunch. Let's go to coffee. Um, and they knew I would pay, by the way, because I was trying to get their business. So here I thought, oh, my gosh, they're, they're one step closer. They, they really do want to, you know, take me seriously and listen to what I have to say and figure out what, you know, what we're trying to solve. And at the end of the day, I ended up with a lot of friends and a strong network, which is valuable, don't get me wrong. But if my goal is to be selling, I didn't start out off on the right foot. And so I think leading with value is something we need to improve on. And then as a secondary step, adding likability on. And being, again, just moving out of that camp of being highly relational, it it stunts your ability to then start over. Because what would happen is, You start with likability, you're looking and seeking approval. It's hard to come back from that and say, oh, by the way, but here's my price and I don't wanna move on it and here's my value. Um, It's it's really difficult to move in that direction. What you can do is start with positioning, start with value, start with the problem solving and create a space that then you can move into the likability as a secondary.
0: Oh, I feel like that was such a golden nugget and hit a chord with me. I mean, when you said being likable is disposable, oof, I think that's something I've struggled with most of my life. And I definitely did in business too, where I love being liked. I want people to like me, but I did associate that with also in people's minds being like, I'm the solution. That's actually not true. And I did have to learn to also lead with value. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I think that was- a powerful piece that's definitely been a big reframe for me, and it's still a work in progress, right. but it is showing up with that value. And yes, people are still gonna like you if you deliver on that. People are gonna like you, so I mean that's a natural piece of it, I think as well.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, um, this is this is a bigger conversation. This is you know definitely more in the political kind of response, but like girls and women have been trained to be likable like you know it's it's something that we you know we want our girls to be you know we're just dealing with this a lot you know it's it's to be quiet to smile to to be a more of an, a servant based kind of mindset to to be liked i mean that is something we are conditioned for and i think that that's so it come we it's an honest like it's very it comes to us from an upbringing that we we are still fighting against. And so changing this mindset though, I think it takes some real discipline. It takes, it's a little scary. It's harder to come out of the gate with more of a value kind of language. It's. It makes sense to us, but it is something you have to practice to get better at because it's so much of a default especially i i shouldn't assume that for me it was a default for me it was you know especially being having lead being able to lead more with personality and connection and relatability those are strengths of mine so it actually took some real effort to stop myself you know it took actual thinking about it took feedback from others to actually engage in a way where I was not leaning that way. So I think it's also important to note, it's not easy. You know, uh, for a lot of us, it's not easy, but it is in a sales capacity, something that will set you up to have the other conversations that you need to have in a much better way.
0: Yeah, I love that you brought that up because I do think there is so much of that like social conditioning that we also feel like maybe we're fighting against because it feels unnatural And I definitely also feel the same way you do and definitely feel like there is this expectation to like, be smile, like smile, be quiet, don't take up too much space. And so I know for me, like asking for a sale felt like I was taking up too much space. Mm -hmm. And so there is so much mindset work and reframing that has to happen and consistency. And that is the piece that I think is so hard because you can keep coming up against challenges or things that are telling you you shouldn't be doing that. And so how do you continue to move forward with that when you're kind of like unconditioning, like reframing your mindset, but also trying to achieve goals? Like you're, it's, it's a lot to manage at once on top of running your business. <laughs> and Absolutely. I think those are sometimes the little pieces that, especially as women entrepreneurs, we don't necessarily know what we're going to be up against. when We're going to start a business because we want to add value to the world, but there are these opportunities for growth, I guess we could call them. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But it can also be something that totally stops you in your tracks as well. So I think having conversations like this and understanding the challenges that are there, but there's also a lot of tools available as well.
1: Absolutely. I guess
0: we're kind of still on the emotional side and relationship piece of sales, but I do wonder if there's any tools that you... Could share that might be helpful for entrepreneurs as they're thinking about reframing, like the fear of sales, or yeah. thinking about some of these mindset shifts.
1: Yeah, I think it, it definitely piggybacks on what we were saying. I think the biggest, or the the most, some real helpful advice, a tool is just really taking an objective look at what sale is, what sales actually is, and I think you know what I think is an interesting idea is that we are all selling things all the time if we were to take something so for example using makeup is an easy extension for me I'm still all about trying products and and trying out different things and when I find something I like I want to tell everybody oh my gosh you have to try this it's so good um and I am always we're always convincing people of What we like and don't like. You know, I mean, it can be a sports team. It can be a restaurant. It can be, um, you know, I mean, people who are on keto or uh, vegan diets or CrossFit. I mean, there's people who are so passionate about things that they are excited about. They're selling all the time. And it's not the difference between selling in a corporate space or selling for yourself as an entrepreneur or a founder. Is that you're attaching a lot of emotion to the outcome. And you're attaching a lot of pressure to doing this a specific way. You know, I want, I want to have this conversation, have a B outcome. And so the act of actually selling is not the issue because we're doing it all the time. The the problem is the, this attachment more to the outcome and the pressure we put on ourselves to have these very, you know. A to B conversations. I think the tool that we can think about from a sales lens is a lot of people believe, and again, maybe this might've been true back when it was more transactional, but we believe a sales conversation is A to B. I'm going to have this conversation and then they're going to decide if they want to buy. And that is so ridiculous. That is so unnatural. And that is just not true. Sales is... a cycle it's a circle and you're always gonna have customers and people considering you know what you're offering at different stages and it's constant and so much of this process you know you have awareness you have consideration and you have buy. those are three just really basic stages all customers are going to be in and so the outcome of understanding where they are and what would impact them to buy today or buy tomorrow or why they would not buy today and why they would buy tomorrow, it's so big and you have no control over it. And so when you're really looking at sales from this this place of A to B, that is so much pressure. It's unrealistic. And then what happens is you set yourself up for feeling like you did something wrong or they don't want what you have, you take it personal, you decide that client or person is no longer somebody you're gonna spend time on. And it's just this like avalanche of like emotional, emotional, just, you know, I did a bad job, they didn't understand, they don't like what I have to say. Um, Again, we just, because we started out in this relational space, when we we finally put ourselves out there to have this A to B sales conversation and it, Ends up with a no, it's so much bigger in our heads and the narrative than it really is. No is just a piece of information right then and there. And you don't even know why it's no, you know, and so sales is just such a more open, um, constant cycle of conversations, and it's not about you, it's not about what you're specifically offering them, it is how they are interpreting the information they have, which might not be all the information, and they're making a decision in real time. And so when you look at sales in this big way, in this more sales as a cycle, sales as a service, you have a way of taking out some of that emotion. And so again, really looking at what sales is and then also understanding you're good at it. Most people are really good at selling their position. They just aren't doing it for money. And then when they do it for money, it's all of a sudden all these things. But it's not that different. And and so that's the reframe on it is taking one, looking at it as a cycle, not an A to B conversation. Two, understanding you're already pretty good at discussing with people things you're passionate about. And three, you do not have control over the outcomes. You really don't. And so when you want to believe you do, you're setting yourself up for a lot of um, disappointment and a lot of personal attachment to that level of failure that you feel that is literally unfounded. So it was a amazing. lot, but
0: <laughs> no, that was so amazing. I think that was such valuable information. And I love that idea of kind of zooming out and being a little bit more objective. I think that's such a powerful thing. That's one of the things I definitely learned when you coached me on sales. And it was just kind of this, it is about timing. I mean, it's kind of like dating too. It's like the right people at the right time who want the same things. And <laughs> It's the same thing with like sales And you are being of service to someone. And so one of the things I always found is that sales, definitely the cycle you talked about. Like I would have a conversation with someone and then two years later, they would hire me because they knew that who I was, they were aware of what I had to offer, but two years prior, like it wasn't the right time for them. Mm -hmm. But they would come back like, yeah, a year sometimes or two years later and it would be absolutely time to move and be a great working relationship. And so I do think it is so much of that timing. Like you said, you have no control over that. So even though you're putting it out there, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right time for that person, but you could still potentially be a solution in the future. But it feels scary because sometimes you want that sale now. But I think mm-hmm. again, when you can be more objective and not as emotional to that outcome, like it is a more of a natural feeling skill, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree. And I can say that, I think that's the hardest part is that you know, you decide you're going to get good at sales. You decide I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I have a business. I care about a lot about it. I'm going to start selling today, no matter what, no matter what it takes. I'm going to Google. I'm going to find a script. I'm going to start reaching out and it feels kind of erratic, and it feels important and it feels immediate because you've just made this decision. Um, but it's just, It's setting the level of expectation you're putting on this is is too high. I I mean, definitely lower those expectations. And it's also very unrealistic. You have to... Sales is definitely a long game. And so I completely agree. And it's not what anybody wants to hear. Nobody really wants to hear that it's going to take a minute and that it's going to take some work and it's going to take having conversations on a regular basis. Sometimes, you know, they... I think that the metric... 10, 10 years ago, if you looked at like a sales book, they would say that you need to have eleven to twelve touches. I don't believe that to be the case at this point because of all the information. I think that might have been true when the person selling had all the had all the cards. I think it takes between five to seven, and it doesn't have to be you talking to them. It could be them seeing you on Instagram, and then. A LinkedIn message, and then you talking to somebody in their network, and then you having the conversation directly. So I do think that that is still true, though. So to think that you can decide on Monday that you're going to start selling and gear yourself up for these in big, intense, perfect conversations, and really try to lean into that and then have some failures, and then have some rejection, and then decide, well, I guess that just didn't work for me. Like I can't do it. I hate it. It's, it's obviously not something I can do and they move on. That's just such a, it's too bad because that's not the case at all. It really is, um, a long game. And and one of the things that we talk a lot about with sales mindset is planting seeds. And, you know, you don't, you plant a seed and obviously you're not going to see a flower that day. It takes time. Um, You know, it just really is sort of a longer process, but there are a lot of things you can be doing to speed up that process with, you know, like I said, networking, social media, having conversations, having, getting client stories together. There is things you can be doing to up those touches in different ways, especially with the internet now, but it will never, it just is never going to be a quick, there's no silver bullet. It's not a quick fix. And it does take some real fundamentals to be in place for that to actually start, and it really is to think to think about it. Really, is about like a planting a seed, and to begin there, so that you set your expectations correctly, um, and so you're not setting up this this level of failure and rejection to just take you down um, sooner than than it you know than the even for me you know I mean it's like I like you said I've had clients five years in the making and then they show up and, and it feels, it's like the best feeling. You're like, I did it. I, I put the time in and it's, it's rewarding me. It took five years, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, so it is a long game and there is no quick win. And so setting that expectation, I think is also really important.
0: Yeah, that is so important. I love the idea of planting seeds and I am 100% guilty when you're describing someone who's like, on Monday, <laughs> I'm going to go out, and make all these sales calls. And then by the end of the week, you're just like exhausted. And you're like, I don't know what just happened. I'm never doing that again. Um, I have totally been there. <laughs> um, because I think it kind of feeds back into that old mindset of that like A to B transactional piece, where that's not, you know, the most beneficial way of doing sales anymore. So I do want to dive into rejection, but before we get into the rejection side of things, I do kind of want to talk about maybe any tactical pieces. I know you just shared a few, but curious if someone is listening to this and they're like, okay, I'm prepared to like put a long game together. Do you have any like tactics or like framework to think about how to structure that sales process?
1: Yeah. Um, I think that it's, it's twofold and that, 50% of this is working on your own skill set, and then 50% is working on really understanding who your customer is. So if I was somebody who was listening, and I was brand new, and I had a company I was starting, and I was like, okay, I'm listening to this, I'm writing down, where am I going to begin? I think really understanding that there are some, again, fundamental skills in sales that just take practice. And so when I'm thinking about the person actually doing the selling, you really want to practice conversations. They're really, it's like one of those things where it's, it reminds me a lot of like weight loss, right? Like weight loss is a, what, like a billion dollar industry, but we all have all the information, right? We know it's drink water, calorie deficit, exercise, weight lift, you know, I mean, like there's some, there's a lot of information out there but the actual doing of it is hard and it's similar in sales but again it's it's really when you're thinking about I'm gonna start selling I want to I want to get better at this focusing on some serious basic fundamentals as simple as asking a question learning to pause listening for the answer and It doesn't, it's like, well, I know how to talk to people or I'm pretty good at this. People are really good at talking. People are really good at listening to talk. But I don't think many people are that good at learning how to ask good questions, learning how to pause, and then listening for the answer. And, you know, you can practice these things. So when I'm talking to somebody who's brand new, like practice that talk to your spouse talk to your friend talk to somebody in a grocery line talk to start learning how to ask a couple good questions pausing and then listening for the answer and really thinking about what they're saying and engaging in true conversation i mean this is a very basic fundamental of how sales works but if you don't know how to do that And you immediately jump into, like I said, you go on Google and you're like, I want to have a script and I want to have, um, I want to figure out how I'm going to talk about this. And you start to go into this abyss of information and on all the, all the things you could be doing. But I would say if you're starting out, slow things way down. You will have more success if you can learn how to truly have a good conversation And like a 10-minute conversation, not an hour, people are super busy, time is the currency, learn to have a good 10-minute to 15-minute conversation, that is hard to do. And the only way somebody is actually going to get better is by practicing. And the more you practice, then you can flex into other things, then you can build on that to do other things. But I would say really start with some really good fundamentals and learning how to talk to people with the intention of listening and really being second. You know, I mean, Charlotte, at the beginning of this, I was like, this is going to be hard for me because I'm so used to not talking. (laughs) Like my job, so much of it is not talking and learning how to pause and learning how to give people space to think about the question I asked. And women specifically are really good at this. We're good listeners. We are these are skills that we can develop and we are actually pretty far advanced for a lot of this, but when we are learning how to ask a question and listening, I would say that just just that alone will get you farther than reading all the sales books. Like learning how to ha- do that really well. And so and then and build from that. So that would be from the side of the person Selling like that's a fundamental skill. You have to know how to do that. From the other side of it, from your customer, the other thing I have found when talking to people, let's say when I say people, I mean founders, women entrepreneurs, people in the corporate world, we on the flip side, we have so much to say. And so much we want to do. We want to get a beautiful website. We want to have followers on Instagram. We want to tweet. We want to be on Facebook. We want everybody to know about our product. We go into this world of um, just overextension, but we're not focused on one thing. And that is who, who are you selling to? I think that this is missed a lot when people are starting businesses. They instantly go into product. They instantly go into website and they get excited about Instagram. And that's a very self-serving outlook. It's a very self-serving perspective. And I think that that's the frustration. You know, people spend a lot of time on that stuff and it's valuable, but it's not moving the needle and then they feel burnt out and they're like, well, I don't understand. And it's because the tool that is missed and the focus that is missed is who are you selling to? Who are you trying to service? You know, what is it that you've identified that you are trying to solve? And who needs that? And, you know, even if it is something, you know, in your your line of work, it's marketing. You're like, well, everybody needs marketing. But who do you work best with? And who, if you could line up 10 really great customers, what would be some of the criteria that you would want? Because you can have, a small firm you can have corporate you can have t- you know I mean like it you could do you, you know if you took on a project that was an $80,000 project could you actually execute on that I mean these are things that need to be really thought through and I think that the more specific you can be again this is where to begin this is where to start it's like who am I selling to Who? would benefit the most and who have I had the most success with, you know, in my world, I sell up, you know, huge, um, fortune like huge corporate international, um, across the United States. We're selling to big companies. We're also selling to smaller companies, um, maybe in the Portland area. And so the the range is huge, but even in that I'm targeting specific, titles and specific job descriptions and specific problems that I know I can be effective in. And so I'm looking for a specific buyer. And I think that's just, it's just so constantly missed. You know, I, I'll say, I've i said to so many different people, well, who's your target? Who's your customer? And it's everybody. And so if you're selling to everybody, you're selling to no one. And you don't have a way of seeing success and progress And moving what you're doing forward and building on that. Again, just slowing things way down. Um, Moving things to really basic, fundamental things that need to be addressed so that you can build on them. So you can, you know, if you are learning the conversation that I just said, like if you're the person selling and really getting good at that conversation, if you don't know who you're talking to, how are you going to build that conversation? You know, and you you. You are never going to have the same conversation twice, which is why when people say they're reading this sales book or that sales book, I'm like, that's great, but that conversation might never happen. So that's why the fundamentals of some of this is so important. It's because the building blocks need to be there so you can have these effective conversations. I know who my buyers are, so I have the same conversation many, many times so that I can start to pick up on things and start to adapt and start to change But if you don't start at this beginning space for one for the person selling and two for who you're selling to, you will get lost. You will get burnt out and you won't feel like you're moving the needle forward. And you're like, why? I don't think this isn't making sense. And it sometimes really is just that quote unquote simple um, and that basic, but it, it needs to start really, really needs to start there. That was a lot. I talked for a minute, but that's those are the two things I think really need to be addressed at the at the start of things. And even if you have to go back to them, they're crucial.
0: Yeah. And I think there are such like foundational tactile pieces that almost take the pressure off a little bit. Like when you really step back and are like, okay, I have a skill I need to develop. And here's like a simple way that I can do it by just really listening when I'm talking to people that I interact with on the day-to-day basis and then also getting really clear on your customer. And one of the things I found too, as I started to like sell and engage with different clients was I started to get a lot of that information along the way too. So like, even if you don't have it hundred percent figured out, you know, you are going to learn as you start to have conversations with people in different size companies and in different industries, like you're going to start to understand where you gravitate towards and where you can best show up too. But I agree like you definitely have to have that starting point like everyone is not your customer Um, as much as we all wish that were the you know the possibility we would all be billionaires but that's not (laughs) not the case unfortunately um so thank you for that and yeah I think the listening piece is so important and in that is usually where you actually hear the answers or sometimes in the subtext not in the actual words of what people are saying or picking up on their energy or hesitations. I mean, all of that is such important information. And I know you also asked about, you know, asking good questions. And so I'm kind of curious if you have any examples, maybe just like one or two examples of what makes a good question.
1: Yeah, I that's a and I think that I want to tie also this back to starting with value. Um, you know, when you are starting a conversation and you're giving it's space for listening and hearing what the other person's saying, then you can respond to value. You don't have to lean into likability because they're leading the conversation. Um, I think something really that I ask almost everyone is especially on a new conversation. The first thing I I always do is I always ask, you know, tell me about your role in the company or tell me about your role because I want to get them talking. There's no like perfect question. What you wanna do is you wanna start to frame this way of them understanding your role and them understanding their role in this conversation. And so, you know, when I say think about good questions, it is not, you're not gonna necessarily identify the problem you're trying to solve in the first 50 seconds and even in maybe the first conversation. What you are trying to establish in a very first conversation is your title and your role in this and their title and their role in this. So you are starting to get them engaged that you are a partner to what they're trying to solve. And so I'm glad you asked that because I think it comes up a lot where, you know, I'll say things, well, ask good questions. And you're like, okay, well, what questions? And I don't even think that's the right, probably the right way of saying it. When you get on a call, when I get on a call with somebody and I said, you know, I'm Aaron Moore, I'm a senior sales executive, or I'm a senior client manager, depending on, you know, who's on the other side of the call. Sometimes I will extend and say, my role in this is to, um, I know that, you know, because we work with Microsoft. So I'll say something about that. And then I'll say, so tell me about your role in this. So I'm giving, I've established sort of a position of one position of quote unquote power, two, I'm establishing that I have something to say in this conversation and what I have to say is important. And not just, even just establishing that I think for women is key because you're starting off a conversation saying, I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be establishing something here and I have something to say. And when you lead with your role, when you lead with what your role is in this specific conversation. You could even lead with an agenda if it, if it makes sense, if it's if it's something that they're expecting. You are really setting up for leading with value. And I think that that's very different than, hi yeah, I'm I'm Aaron and I just wanted to you know, reach out today and uh, see uh, maybe if you have some interest in you know, talking more about, you know it feels that introduction, literally something that small, you have, you have set a stage for um, not being taken seriously because you don't take yourself seriously. And so even something as stating your name, stating your title, stating why you're, you know, what you're contributing in this conversation, and then you asking them, so tell me about your, so I see that your title is this, what does that mean? In relation to your company what is it, what are some of the things that you're in charge of or that you're responsible for even that is you have taken control of the conversation you've led with value you've established that you have something to say but you're passing it off because you want to hear from them so when you when I say like think of good questions I mean maybe it's as simple as making sure you're gonna show up to this conversation with a value lead. And then they talk. So you've you've said to them, tell me about your role. Tell me about how, you know, I know in different companies, let's say for you, let's say you're talking to a marketing manager or director of marketing. I've worked with a lot of different companies and that title means a lot of different things. So tell me for you, what does that mean? You know, like you're, you're really asking for them and that sets a tone. It sets um, credibility It's, you're allowed to lead into value and you're starting again, that fundamental, you're starting a conversation. And if you go back to everything we've talked about today, you're also, you know, you're aware that this is just the first conversation and, you know, have an objective, obviously in every conversation, let's say you want to learn, are they in charge of budget? And that's the only thing you want to learn in the conversation. So your your questions past that established introduction will be guiding them to get information around that answer. And so those are the questions you want to figure out to have for that call. But I really believe that that introduction is important. And I think it's a really, it's something everybody can do. You don't have to talk too much about yourself. You don't have to have this great rapport. Um, And it's, it's the beginning of a conversation and then the last thing I'll say around having questions in a conversation the one thing the only other thing I would say that's really key in every conversation is at the end of that conversation leave an opportunity to reconnect even if that conversation bombs and you know you didn't get what you wanted thank you so much for your time I might have some follow-up questions I'll reach back out to you via email or like whatever it is do not, if you think about this conversation as an A to B and you didn't get what you wanted, please don't shut that door. Keep it open, give it time, come back to it. Maybe you find an article, maybe you have a client's story, maybe you have something that they need that isn't related to what you initially wanted. But those, those two things I think for, for really, when I say ask questions, I guess it's it really position yourself to be able to ask the right questions. Is that, does that help
0: with? Oh yes. That's so amazing. I mean, I think that example of just the way you introduce yourself is so valuable and especially coming into a conversation where someone maybe doesn't know why. I mean, obviously you should, they should know the purpose of the meeting, but I think sometimes just starting that, especially Mm because we're all moving so quickly, especially we're all virtual. We're just like literally jumping into virtual meetings all day long. So I think sometimes it's actually, it takes the pressure off the other person when you can kind of just say like, hey, here's who I am. Here's what we're going to talk about. Here's how I value, even not in those words necessarily, but you're getting, you're kind of taking that control where it, it allows them to sit back and kind of ground into the purpose of the meeting. And then you're asking them something that they're extremely familiar with is themselves and what they do. And so I think you're just automatically putting them at ease a little bit too, to just allow that conversation. And yes, you might have a goal of wanting to find out if they're responsible for budgets in that meeting. But I think you allow them to kind of relax into that conversation so that you that can come up more naturally versus it feeling like, you know, you ask them about their role and you're like, okay, well, do you do budgets? And like what is your budget? And <laughs> can you afford to hire me? And like Right. right. <laughs> so
1: exactly. it does make it
0: more natural. And then they feel like Absolutely. you are a solution too.
1: Absolutely. And I would say be ready to be flexible, which is why I said before, learn some basic fundamentals, because if you can learn like this is something you could practice, you could practice. Hi, my name's Aaron Moore. I'm the my role, my role at this company is this, like you could even script it out, you could practice that. And then once you practice that and do it a couple times, it'll get easier, you're going to add more of a flow to it, you learn how to be more assertive. And there's something psychological about that. And it really is, I think, for women, putting them in a position of power from the beginning. And so when you lead with that, then you have permission. And by the way, when you say to the other person, you know, what's their role, they're, they have checked the box that they've agreed that you guys are both having something valuable to say. There's a shift in power um, because of that sales customer thing that happens. This sort of gives more of an equal footing. So I really, I really try and I would really recommend practicing their your lead-in as a step one. And then the other thing is if you learn how to pause and listen, it's exactly what you said. Maybe you're realizing, oh wow. This person isn't suitable for this. Maybe it's suitable for this. Or, wow, they have – this isn't – like you're truly listening and you're truly trying to gauge and, – and I mean as a next step, and this is more like advanced skills in regards to sales, maybe you say to them, wow, I came into this conversation thinking we were going to be talking about this. But after hearing what you have to say – we might should shift and really think about this. Or I want, I think that that's where I'm coming from. What do you think? You know what I mean? There's, if you can learn some serious fundamentals with listening and pausing, pausing is huge. Learning how to pause. Hello, me, I talk, I have so much to say all the time as you're witnessing, learning how to pause is really difficult. So these again, just like there's some really slowed down skills that I think are really missed especially if you're Googling <laughs> how to sell.
0: Right. <laughs> yes. Google can put you in a rabbit hole for sure. Yes. Um,
1: yeah. So I'd love for us
0: to maybe like think about the sales cycle from, you know, standpoint of like, we've worked on our mindset, we're practicing listening, slowing down, we're having these conversations. And so there is that inevitable transaction point that we get to, and there's usually two answers. (laughs) Sometimes there could be another, but it's a no or a yes. And so the no, I think is part of what so many of us fear. And so I'm wondering if you have tips for how to handle rejection. Yeah,
1: I think again, it's, it's so about mindset. I think, um, you know, I'm raising two small kids and I have, I think a pretty perfectionist uh, daughter. She's six And I say to her all the time, mistakes are our friends. And we actually learn from confusion. So I think it's such a gift. And I know I'm in sales and I've known I've been doing this for a long time. And rejection for me is such, it's such a, just a fact of information. It really is just that for me. It is a fact of information. And again, I think if when you're really considering sales. And I at the very beginning of the conversation we had that like in our heads this like graph right of relational to transactional. If you can identify truly honestly where you are in that, if you're all the way in the relational camp, it's rejection's going to hurt. Rejection's going to feel really personal. And the more you can move yourself into this middle, balanced, even if you're thinking about this more transactional from a rejection perspective, it's helpful because it really is just information. And so for me, also, what I love about rejection is it's confusing and you're like, okay, I thought that we were on the same page. And I thought that they understood my proposition. And I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. So you're coming at it from your perspective. And you think that you did everything, quote unquote, right to get the sale. And they said no. And so what comes from that is confusion. But that is the only way we will start to learn what we are doing wrong. And so when we get a no, I mean, okay, sometimes it's just this product is not going to match this problem that I'm having. It's not the right solution. Sometimes they truly can't afford it. Like there are real answers to the no. But if you are not sure why they said no, then there's some homework to be done. And that confusion will lead to asking better questions, setting some some parameters and boundaries up front in conversations people ask me all the time how do you ask for the sale you ask for the sale in the first conversation or in the beginning of the conversations where you're saying yeah what i do it's going to be in a range of i love ranges it's going to be a range of ten to fifteen thousand dollars that's what this is what we've been so then when you you're not sitting to a hard number but you've set up you've set up a boundary around money in a way that isn't at the end, like this big reveal. You don't want the cost of something to be at the end for this big reveal. You should be proud of the number you have on that page for the product they are getting. You know, you should not, if you're going into this conversation and the money piece of it scares you, then think about why you believe the value of what you're offering is this price. Truly, like think about what is it, would you buy it at this price, and if so, why? And so when you're thinking about rejection, when you're thinking about asking for the sale, so much of that starts in the beginning conversations, which is why, it's like all connected, which is why this isn't an A to B conversation, it's a cycle, which is why you start this conversation with a position of power and value, which is why when you say things like, great, for our last customer, they had something that looked very similar to this and they landed in a range of this. So keep me, you know, you're, you're saying things throughout this conversation so that when it comes time at the end to say, great. So for you, based on what we know, based on what you're going to be delivering or based on this product, here's where we're landing. You know, it's like, it's an extension of what you've already said. And so if that, at that point he says, oh no, we can't, there's nothing, there's no way I could pay for that, you're going to feel, one, you're going to feel rejection, two, you're going to feel confused. And I would say to the rejection, let it, like, let it just be a piece of information. Do not attach it to your self-worth or what you're offering. It's truly objective information, but lean into the confusion, Why did they say no? Do you understand why they said no? And if you don't, that's where your learning begins. And maybe you come back to that client. Maybe you learn for the next client. But that's how you get better. And that's why sales is just a, it's like you just have to do it. And you have to practice it. And you have to learn where your gaps are, where you're doing well. Because there's always something to learn for the next the next conversation, and I mean, even though I've been doing this for a really long time, I'm a constant in constant learning, um, and I am confused. And I and I and I'm not going to say I never feel, I feel disappointment when I get a no, and then I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> I'm like mad about it. Okay, well, why? What happened? What did I do? What happened? And I mean, most of the time, if we've set up a rapport in a relationship, you can ask okay, I thought we were on the same page here. I wasn't expecting that this we weren't going to move this forward. Can you give me some feedback on, you know, what is it that we missed or we didn't talk about? You know, what is it that, you know, we need to come back to? Or if it's just timing, no, no problem. I'll reach out in a month and maybe it'll be a better time to have this conversation. Um, and so the confusion, I would say lean into it. The rejection, you're going to have to really get honest with, with what you're attaching, what you're attaching to that. No, because I I'm guessing if it's highly, if it just feels so devastating, you are sitting, living, sleeping in that relational camp and that's never going to serve you from a sales, um, sales perspective.
0: Yeah. No is a piece of information. I love that. (laughs) and I think you know for me that was one of the things that you did teach me and it was like wow I actually do again have this permission to get curious and learn and it's kind of like being a detective a little bit yeah (laughs) Um, and just it is learning and growing and it's like okay that's great information stored that here and now I'm gonna adjust this for the next time and it is moving out of that just kind of emotional piece of it, which, I mean, sometimes you can still, like you said, feel disappointment, especially with someone you really wanted to work with. But again, like if you have set up that relationship, it's not a no forever. It's like a no, Mm -hmm. not right now. And like you said, it's a cycle, like they may come back in a few months. And so it is just information, which is all, all key to this.
1: (laughs) I mean, I want to say too, if I were in the other, if I was on the other side of it and somebody said to me, gosh, I, I thought that we were on the same page here. Did I miss something? First of all, that's a hard thing to say, and it's such a vulnerable thing to say that I would be so willing to, and it's definitely happened to me, where they're say, they'll say, yeah, well, you know, we had a budget for it, got moved to Q4, and I'll be like, okay, no problem. Let's connect in a couple months. Um, I just think, again, learning to ask questions and, and learning to put yourself out there sales is i think that that is there is such a fear around the rejection piece around around selling and that would probably be one of the biggest things that i have talked to women about but it is because they're just they're not understanding that it's not the end it could be the beginning because i've had many situations where i've said that and then the conversation continues and then they know you listened they, are, they realize you've paid attention and it actually builds on, you know, it actually helps build that rapport and relationship where you actually are positioning yourself to be somebody who is going to be a partner to them.
0: Wonderful. I think you've left us with so much information and golden nuggets in this episode. I feel like I could just listen to you all day. <laughs> Um, I'm curious though, like based on everything we've talked about, I know it's all kind of interconnected, but is there any one kind of takeaway or piece of information you want to
1: listen to or leave with the listeners? My one piece of information is practice. I think that there's really no way to think or to read yourself into good sales skills. I just, there's this is not something you can read about listen to other people like you and I talking about without actually practicing Um, and realizing really how bad you are in a good way. You know, I mean, how good are we at pausing and listening? Um, How good are we at just trying to figure out specifically who this is for? You will come away with so much. So I I think there's a lot to be learned, but I think sales really at the heart of it You have to learn through practice. You have to learn through taking action because no sale will happen twice. You will not have, even if you talk to that same person in the morning and then you talk to them in the afternoon, the conversation is not the same. So you can't totally be prepared for what the conversation looks like. You can only practice the fundamentals to improve. So... I think we think ourselves. We think we can think ourselves into a lot of this, and, and it's just you have to start practicing. That's that is the ultimate, um, the ultimate piece of advice for sure.
0: It's wonderful. Sales
1: is a practice,
0: just like yoga.
1: It is. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Amazing. Well, tell everyone, Erin, where they can connect with you further. Yeah. I mean, I'm on everything. Um, Aaron Zeal, Z I E L more. Um, but I would say probably for this call, if you want to connect or have questions, I would go to LinkedIn and, um, I add pretty much everybody on LinkedIn and open to conversations from there. Very cool. Yes. I will link to your profile
0: in the show notes. And the last question I want to ask you is how
1: does being intentional show up in your life or work? I thought about that. Um, I knew that was the one question you were going to ask. And I think that the funny thing is, I, I'm i not a, like not that I'm not a big intention person. I believe intention is step one. I think it reflects priorities. But again, kind of being in the role that I am in my life with sales, I think action is, and discipline to your systems is is key. So for me, I think intentions like water. My intention is to drink more water. So the action I took was to have a bottle of water with me at all times, all all the time, um, whether I drink it or not. So I think, again, at the heart of my core values and and what I believe in, the actions of things are the most important and, and need to be really like, step two of every intention if it's important.
0: Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's like intentional action instead of just taking action just to do things, to be busy, but really thinking about why the action needs to be there. Yeah. I love
1: that. Exactly.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here, Erin. I think this was such a juicy episode with so much information and so many good reframes. Like I will probably re-listen to this multiple times. So. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge.
1: Yeah, happy to. Thank you so much. It was a joy. Thank you so much for listening.
0: If you love this episode, please subscribe to be the first to know when a new episode is available. And if you really love this episode, please rate and review the podcast so that other conscious business leaders like yourself can join our community of listeners. If you'd like to connect with me further, you'll find me hanging out on LinkedIn at Charlotte Chipperfield. Come join me there or check out charlottechipperfield.com
1: for more resources and to learn more about holistic marketing.